Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. This is Reverend Rosemary with you this evening as we rejoice in this wonderful day that the Lord has made. We thank him for bringing us together again at the table of his word. And we will open our study tonight with a word of prayer. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for this day and for this opportunity we have, oh God, to be together for the study of your word. Lord, we reverence you. We reverence your word and we come with hearts prepared to receive from you. We ask for revelation, for light, and for increase. We pray that you would help us be doers of the word, O God, and let your word become flesh to us in every area of our lives so that your name can be glorified in us and through us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Hallelujah. Well, tonight we are looking at the topic, do not be silent, speak. Amen. Hallelujah. This is our topic. Do not be silent, speak. You see, God wants us to know that in life, there is nothing too difficult for him. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 22, the Bible says this, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. So this is God's way of telling us that he does things for us. He works in us, in our lives, in our situation and circumstances based on our, our belief in who he is, in his love for us, in his, and our belief in his ability and also based on our willingness to work together with him. Amen. So in fact, you know, these will be the determining factors in our success. Number one, our belief in who God is, that is knowing his love for us and believing that he loves us, believing in his ability, and also being willing to work together with him. Isaiah chapter one and verse 19 says this, those who are willing and obedient will eat of the good of the land. Hallelujah. So what is God looking for? He's looking for people who are willing and obedient. 
people who are willing to submit to his will and his plans for their lives and who are willing to let go of their own agenda. You see, there is really no safety outside of the will of God. Our anointing resides in his will for our life. That's it. No more, no less. His will for our lives. So when we are in that place, that is the place of his will, it is there that we find that we are strong, that we are unbreakable, that we are protected. Amen. The work of the cross is complete. It is perfect. There is nothing that can be added or removed from it. Jesus won the victory for us, and he has given us the authority to enforce his victory in our lives. And in order for us to partake of this victory, we are going to have to maintain a strategic position over the battlefield of our life and mind. We just saw, number one, that we must be willing and obedient. That's the very first position that we take. Hallelujah. When we want to walk in the victory that Jesus has won for us. You see, what the enemy tries to do is to penetrate a person's intellect. Um, that is a person's mental control center, if we can call it as such. So he can flood it with deception and falsehood, which is what he is all about. Jesus called him a liar and the father of lies. So this is all he knows how to do. And he wants to feel the mind of people, particularly believers, because unbelievers have already bought into most of his lies. But when we come to Christ, he's he fights us to prevent us from coming into the revelation, the understanding, the submit of the word of God and our submission to it. The end result of the devil's deception in someone's life is easily seen. For example, when believers, and notice I say believers, amen, that is someone who, a Christian, a born-again person, falsely believes that they will die of a terminal disease, that they have no hope for the future, that their lives, in life, they, are, they will fail in everything that they attempt that nothing will work, that, for example, their marriage is on the rocks, that their children will never um, rise up, be strong enough to rise up above the pressures of this evil generation and live for God. All these are lies of the enemy that the believers, the believer has bought into, amen that, for example, that they cannot be financially prosperous, 
that they cannot be successful in life. When believers buy into these lies, they open doors for the enemy to move these lying suggestions from the thought realm into the natural realm where these thoughts now become genuine reality. In other words, these false perceptions empower the lies and the devil uses those false beliefs to create his reality in the natural realm. I know we all have, we know that verse or we have read it in Proverbs 23 and verse seven that tells us as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And this is exactly what the enemy wants to do, to capture, take over man's thinking process, amen? Fill him with what I call junk and then translates those thoughts into genuine reality. So the person ends up living the lies that he has believed in. Let's look at an illustration from the word of God. It's an account that is found in John chapter five. It's the story of uh, a man who was infirmed and who wanted to be healed, but could not see how this was possible because he had been tricked or should I say deceived into thinking that he might have to live like this for the rest of his life. And why was that? Well, the excuse he gives, and we're going to be reading from uh, that passage so we can understand fully what this account is about, but he believed that he could not be the first person to get into the water. But let's go back in order for, for us to understand why this lie took over this man and why he believed that there was nothing he could do to help himself or even for God to help him. Let's look at John chapter five, verses two through nine. John five, verses two through nine. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market, a pool which is called in the Hebrew tongue, Bethesda having five porches, in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity 30 and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, will thou be made whole? The important man answered him, sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled to put me in the, into the pool 
but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus said unto him, rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Praise God. Hallelujah. It's important for us to note here that we are told that that day was the day of the Sabbath. Amen. This is the day of rest. And what better day for a man who is crippled or sick or has any kind of problem to enter into his rest than on the Sabbath day, which is the day of rest. Praise God. And scripture tells us that Jesus is our rest. Not only spiritual rest as we come in, we regain we, we, we our union with God as we become born again, amen, but other aspects of our lives also fall into place so that we can live in rest, even here on the earth. Praise God. So going back to this man, we see that he is in a dreadful situation. And Jesus, who is our rest, hallelujah, he is the solution to all of men's problems. He shows up on the scene at the pool of Bethesda. And with him, he brings the healing waters that the man needs. And he offers those living waters to the man by asking a simple question. Will thou be made whole? Well, that seems like a pretty straightforward question. But instead of answering that question, the man gives a long story about not being able to step into the water first. It appears that this man had embraced the enemy's mind games and perceived them as truth and given them power over his life and circumstances. So when Jesus spoke to him and said, will thou be made whole? This man had no clue what Jesus was saying. In essence, Jesus was telling him, I have brought you water. It's a river of living water that will heal you, that will deliver you, that will save you, that will make you whole in every area of your life. You are crippled in your body, but I have come to go beyond your body. I have come to make you whole. Will you partake of it? This is in essence what Jesus was offering this man. You know, when we hear this account, many believers are quick to judge this man for his lack of insight and understanding. But I'm sure that this man is not really alone. 
There are many of us today who can identify with this scenario. For example, has the enemy ever deceived us and we bought into that lie, which then affected our emotions and in turn caused us to make all sorts of wrong confessions, draw all sorts of wrong conclusions and made us, caused us to make the wrong decisions. And in the end of it all, we became our own victims. I'm sure I'm not the only one. There are many others who have fallen at times into that plan of deception that the enemy had set up for us. You see, when we don't take charge of our mind and begin to speak God's truth to ourselves to combat the devil's lies, the process of deception continues to work in our life. And eventually, that process has a destination. It ends up being complete. And the fears that this deception brings become reality in our life. And deception then controls various areas of our life. And yes, we end up living from the enemy's perspective, what Proverbs 23 and verse seven tells us, as we just saw before, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We become a product of the enemy's deception rather than a more than conqueror in Christ Jesus, which is what we are called to be in the first place. So it's time that we stop listening to whatever comes to our mind because many things will come to our mind. But it's time for us to start speaking God's word to ourselves. Speak it 24 hours a day. Except for when we are sleeping, we should be about meditating on the word and speaking the word. Hallelujah. You know, because the devil always tries to manipulate our emotions and physical senses in order to play mind games with us, we must therefore stop him by speaking to our emotions, speaking to our senses, dictating to them, that is our emotions and senses, exactly what to believe. Proverbs 18 and verse 21 says this, a man's belly, shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it shall eat the fruit 
thereof. Hallelujah. Praise God. What is this telling us? That life and death is in the power of the words that we speak. And therefore, we are told in verse 21 that those who love it, in other words, love to speak, love to you know, declare things out of their mouth, whatever it is that it is that they declare, they shall eat of the fruit that those things that they have spoken are going to produce. And this is not concerning only what's good. It's about everything, good, the good, as they say in the world, the bad and the ugly, anything that comes out of our mouths, amen. So what must we be doing as believers, as children of God? We must be about speaking and speaking and speaking and allowing ourselves to be filled with the increase of our lips, hallelujah, by multiplying what we say, by multiplying the, you know, the repetition of God's word, God's promises, hallelujah. The number of times we confess the word, we have to multiply this. We don't need whenever we are going through some difficult situation. We don't need a, a, a pity party. We don't need people to come to tell us just how bad they feel along with us. We need people who are going to work with God and work with us to get us out of that situation. And that will come only when we do it God's way. That is, believe his word and speak his word. We have a spirit of power. God has given us a spirit of love and of a sound mind. And we must let the water of life from God's word flow freely in us and through us to give life to our life and to give birth to the miracles that we are so longing for in different areas of our life. Hallelujah. And not only for ourselves, but for others. Amen. So what is God telling us in essence? We must be about speaking his word. You know, Jesus says this in John chapter 7 and verse 38. He says, he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Well, what did Jesus mean by that? That those who believe on him, out of their belly shall flow rivers of living water. He was speaking about the spirit who was coming to indwell men and together with the word of God deposited in men's heart, he would be working, the Holy Spirit would be working, hallelujah. And this operation of the spirit and the word together in us would produce living waters that would flow in us and out of us, 
Hallelujah. This living water brings forth whatever we need. Wherever the waters flow, there is life. I don't know if you remember uh, the very first chapter of the Bible, first, first book, first chapter, Genesis chapter one. The Bible tells us in verses 20 and 21 of Genesis chapter one, that God created life from the waters. Amen. What exactly do I mean by this? Well, let's go ahead and turn. Genesis one verses 20 and 21. It says, and God said that let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that has life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. Verse 21, and God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, listen to this, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind and every wing fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good, amen. Hallelujah. So what, do, what, what exactly are, are we seeing here? Yes, God created everything. God spoke everything. But we see that in order to create the, create the great wills and every living creature that moves, according to verse 21, God had already spoken in verse 20 to the waters and said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that has life and fowl, etc., etc. Hallelujah. So we see here that God created the waters with his word, and then he commanded the waters to bring forth life. And out of the waters came birds and animal life, you know, in the oceans and all, all this, uh, this animal life that we're, we just cited here. Hallelujah. So by the working of the Holy Spirit, of the word of God, we can therefore see that in us, there is, a, there are rivers, not just a well, but there are rivers of water that God wants, you know, has designed to flow through us. Hallelujah. And this living water, they call it living because it has the power to bring life. We must allow God to use us, to use our mouth to create what the, what the Bible calls streams in the desert. Wherever there is a desert, we must, we actually have, if we are doing what we are called to do, meaning fill ourselves with the word of God, hallelujah, and allow the Holy Spirit to work through us. We have what it takes to speak life to situations, whether it is in our life or around us, amen. God has placed us on the earth for that purpose, to advance his kingdom, amen. And until our mission here is finished, we must stand God over 
the will of God in our life. We must determine that we will not give the enemy an inch. And when our mind is under the control of the word of God, has been renewed by the word of God to think like God, we will see that most spiritual attacks will fail and God's word will prevail because the waters of living water are about bringing life and the life of God will extinct anything of death that the enemy tries to bring in our life. Amen. The word of God is the life of God. It is the power of God that God has given us that we must live by. No wonder Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, in Luke 4, 4, that men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Hallelujah. God created the world by his word. Hallelujah. It is the word that became flesh that brought salvation to mankind and redemption to mankind. Then the Lord tells us that we are to live by every words that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Amen. And one day this whole world, hallelujah, will stand before the word of God. Everything is about the word. You know, an example of what the word alive in us can do and what the enemy and how the enemy is fighting to prevent us from coming to that place where the word and us become one. We are going to read an account of not only the enemy coming against one person that we, like we just saw there at the pool of Bethesda, this infirm man, amen? Not only had he, had, was he already crippled, but now he was suffering from deception so that he would stay in that state of being infirm. We now see in this example we are going to read in 1 Samuel 17, how demonic manifestation worked to derail an entire nation. And the enemy we are going to see focused on bringing intimidation and fear by one means, words. Not an actual fight with weapons of war, like in the natural, but through words. If the words of the enemy can create such havoc and such failure to a whole nation, just think what the word of God can do in our life if we take it and speak that word. Let's go ahead and look at um, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Amen. First, let me say that there was, we, we know in that account that there is a, a giant called Goliath. And the enemy used that giant by putting in his mouth arrogant, boastful, and proud declarations about defeating and destroying the Israelites. And those declarations were so effective 
that not one soldier from the Hebrew camp was willing to stand up to this aggressor. You see, the Israeli army was rendered functionally paralyzed for a period of 40 days until a courageous young man whose name we all know, David, he came along with the power of God to challenge the lies of the enemy. Goliath, the giant, was armed to the max. But yet we see that it was not Goliath, the size, you know, his, his hugeness, if I can call it this way, amen, or his weaponry that caused the Israelis to shrink back in fear. What caused them to fear? It was the constant threats and mental bombardment that Goliath hit them with every single day. It was mental harassment which crippled the Hebrew soldiers so that they lost sight of the awesome ability of God. The threats were emotionally overpowering. In 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 11, look what the Bible tells us. It says, when Saul, that is King Saul, and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So we see here that Goliath mentally and emotionally immobilized the armies of Israel without ever using a sword or a spear. With words alone, he incapacitated and disarmed the Israelites. Obviously, this, you know, his declarations about himself um, were ridiculous. But yet, the Israelites bought into the lies. His distortion of his own greatness. They were, you know, that was outrageous. But yet, those words, it's as if they had bewitched the army, the Israeli army. They were spellbound and under the verbal control of the Philistines. So the devil's flagrant and unbelievable allegations are so shocking that when it comes to us, amen, they often bewitch believers who listen to them and eventually become spellbound under the control of the enemy. Why? Because they have been listening to what the enemy is saying. And this form of outrageous conduct is that same mental tool that he uses over and over and over again to assault the mind of believers. He bombards them with threatening thoughts, 
with thoughts of doom, thoughts of failure, thoughts of despair, until people are just worn out. So through these lying threats, the only thing that the enemy wants is to cause believers not to think rationally. And he is adept at, at those mind games. And that is why we have to be careful what we listen to and what we meditate on. The Bible tells us to guard our heart with all diligence because out of it will flow the issues of our life. And if like the Israelites, we sit down and listen and meditate to the lies of the enemy, then we will too become functionally paralyzed. We'll find ourselves living on the low side of victory unwilling to take on any new challenges for fear that we might fail or for fear of what others might say or fear of some potential catastrophe, fear of this, fear of that. This is exactly what the enemy wants to take us captive destroy us, render us ineffective. And he is not using any new, any new thing, but the same old tools that he used against the Israelites through the giant Goliath. So the word of God gives us the antidote. Hebrews 12 and verse two instructs us to look Unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him and do the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hallelujah. Looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus is indeed the author and finisher of our faith and of our lives. It is his will that will prevail if we focus on him rather than on the enemy's schemes. Our focus must be on the reality, which is Christ. And if we learn to focus on him, on his word, on his promises, we will conquer all the lying emotions all the accusations that the enemy tries to bring against us, all the deceptive suggestions that are sent with the aim of neutralizing God's people. And we will be able to keep the enemy in a lower and inferior position for the rest of our lives. Hallelujah. In other words, we would have dethroned him once and for all. Praise God. But if you see, if we don't learn how to do that, if we don't learn to take our thoughts captive and allow the enemy 
to use his tools against us to dominate our thought process. He will do it for the rest of our lives. We will never be able to take charge of our mind. So that is why it's so essential for us to decide that we will take charge because we have been given the power and the authority to do so. And we must learn how to speak God's truth to ourselves rather than allow ourselves to be led by emotions and illusions that the enemy has sent to manipulate and dominate and control us. Amen. You know, it's important to note one important thing here that, and this is a fact of spiritual warfare. And that's the only thing that is true that the enemy spoke through the giant Goliath. And we see that in 1 Samuel chapter 17, again, and the last part of verse eight through verse nine, he said, Goliath in speaking to David said this, he says, choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and servers. What did Goliath say here? What he said in effect was, if one of you Israelis, you are able to fight me and win, we Philistines will serve you for the rest of our lives. But if we win, you will serve us. But you see, what we need to know is that Though these rules were the rules of battle that Goliath laid out during that time in history, during David's day, that whoever was uh, the bad, who won the, wins the battle is the champion, that that person, whether he was the aggressor or the one who accepted the challenge, that that person would hold the, the, the others that he has defeated forever as slave. These are the facts that he laid out, which is true. And those facts are still the rules of spiritual warfare, even today, amen. So Jesus has forever defeated Satan. So we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. And therefore, Satan has no power over us. We have all power over him. These are the hard rules of spiritual warfare. Amen. If we indeed know that Jesus has won the victory, that his victory is our victory, hallelujah, then there is no reason for us to sit down and take any nonsense from the enemy. Amen, hallelujah. But when we don't know that, we allow his intimidations to continue. Goliath had, had the nerve to tell David, I defy the armies of Israel today. And not only did he lose in battle, that shows you how much of a liar and of a schemer he is, though he knows that he is, has already been defeated, he continues the same type of warfare today with God's people. 
he is breathing out the same kind of offensive and terrorizing statements to God's people as he whispers to them, I defy that you believe that you can win in this situation or that uh, you, know, you can walk in divine health. I defy you to think that. I defy you to think that you will ever succeed or that you will ever experience you know, a, a rest or that your children will do well, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, or that your marriage will succeed. He's always defying God's people. And that is why it's so important for us to know that way back in David's day, those were the rules that he himself spoke the enemy. Praise God. And Jesus, he, he not only proved the enemy wrong, back in David's day, but he ensured that Israel knew that they were more than conquerors over the Philistines. Then, and then Jesus comes and the cross happens, hallelujah. And Jesus takes from Satan the power that he had over death and over hell and turns around and gives us the keys. And he says, in my name, you go and enforce the victory that I have already won for you. Hallelujah. In my name, this is what you will do. In my name, this is what you will say. So we have the power. Amen. We have the authority. We have laid out in front of us in God's word, the defeat of the enemy. But going back again to what the enemy tries to do with his mental attacks, notice that he never lifted a sword, that is Goliath. He never threw a spear. They never even budged from their encampment. And yet they conquered the people of God not just anybody, but the people of God with mental and verbal attacks of intimidation. Morning and evening, he attacked for 40 days, nonstop. Never relented, never give them a chance because he knows if he stops, then something might happen, God might intervene and these people might change their mind. They might see that they are indeed the people of God. They don't have to fear. No, he continues relentlessly, which is exactly what he does to the body of Christ. Morning, noon and night, he tries to attack God's people. So let's remember as believers that, that all this stuff that he's trying to bring from mental, uh, pressure, um, physical issues, sickness, disease, infirmity, uh, inability, strife, lack, poverty, that this is all part of the flesh or the natural realm. What he is trying to do is he's trying to get us to operate on another level, on the feeling realm where he knows he can defeat us. So that is why along with these attacks on the outside, he brings in these suggestions, these accusations, these allegations, he's bombarding our mind 
using the same tricks that he used over and over again. Nothing new, same things, even with Adam and Eve. You keep hearing, what about this? What about that? What about this? Whenever you think about God's word, he gives you a what about that? And then you think again of God's word. What about this? What about that? Well, we have the power to put an end through all these lies, through this bombardment. And the way to do it is to meditate on the word and to speak the word to yourself. Hallelujah. Boldly declare the word of God. There is nothing like your mouth forming those words and speaking them, releasing those words into the spirit realm. The words of vehicles that contain information and they contain power behind them. And when we use our, allow God to use us to speak his word over our lives in any situation or whether it is in our family, in our city, or even over the nations, that those words carry great power with them. We must not give away our spiritual authority. Our word must always be yes and amen. Hallelujah, whatever the word of God says, this is what we speak. It should be yes and yes, never yes and no, but yes and yes, hallelujah. We must be about speaking life, speaking life always and never allowing ourselves to be intimidated by the enemy or listen or pay attention to his words. The moment we, we must be so charged up with the word of God that whenever the, the voice of the enemy tries to penetrate us, the word of God will lift a standard in our spirit and what will come out of us will be words that will bombard the camp of the enemy and he's going to have to run. Hallelujah, praise God. I would like, before we close this study, to look at a situation that what the way we would call that situation is one that is twice dead, actually. So a situation that was beyond repair, beyond any type of restoration. And we found that we find that um that account in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 37. And that situation was so far gone that even when God asked the prophet Ezekiel to make a pronouncement about that situation, the prophet could not even do it. Uh, let me go ahead and read verse three of Ezekiel 37. And then we'll go back and read verses one through 10. Okay, verse three. And he, that is God, said unto me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, thou knowest. That's really interesting that the prophet is asked a question by God and he doesn't know, doesn't have the answer to it. Why? Because he's completely overwhelmed by what he sees on a natural level. What he's seeing again, is a twice dead situation. Not only he was looking at dead bones, but he could see that these were not just freshly dead corpses, but people who had expired so long ago that now their bones were dry. And then God is now asking him 
a question about whether or not these bones can live. Let's go ahead, actually. Let's go back and read from uh, starting verse 1 all the way to verse 10. He says, the hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them roundabout. And behold, there were very many in the open valley and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. And again, he said to me, prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will bring up flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and behold a shaking and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered them above but there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, prophesy unto the wind, prophesy son of man, of man, and say to the wind, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon this slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up on their feet, an exceeding great army. Hallelujah. Praise God. The prophet did what God told him to do. Prophesy. Speak to the dead bones and they shall live. Hallelujah. And he did just that. And what happened? These bones came alive and became an exceeding great army something that was absolutely impossible in the natural realm, a miracle happened. Notice that God did not take Ezekiel away from the valley. Rather, he set him in the midst of the valley. Why? So that he could speak the life of God into that situation. So this is an object lesson for us, that wherever there is dryness, wherever there is a famine, which indicates the lack of the presence of the spirit of God, that we need to speak to those fruitless situations and command them to live. It is time for God's children to speak the life of God over their lives, over their family, over their community, over their nation, and yes, even over the nations of this earth. It is time for us to arise and walk together with God and speak his decrees. Because God himself has filled us with the spirit of life. 
And he wants us to speak that life and use our God-given authority. Amen. Hallelujah. You see, going back to creation, God spoke everything that ever existed. He spoke it into being. So it's time for us to speak to everything in and around us also. The same way that God is life and everything about him has, is living, our life must be about life. And therefore, only life should prevail in our lives. So to address whatever situation we may be facing right now, the word of God to us is, we are not going down. We are going up. We are going from glory to glory. Hallelujah. Praise God. The darkness of Satan is past. Hallelujah. And the light of Jesus is now shining in us and around us forevermore. Amen. And God is on the move. He wants us to be moving with him. God commended. We just saw how God commended Ezekiel to speak in the midst of that dead situation. Notice that it was just an imitation of what he himself had done in Genesis chapter one. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter three and verse six, that God made us able ministers of the gospel. Amen. Not of the law, not of the letter, but of the spirit, because it is the spirit who gives life. So the same way God spoke to the darkness in Genesis chapter one, he has given us this, the spirit of life and his word so that we too, we can minister life. We are ministers of life. The apostles got it so well that miracle after miracle, when we read the book of Acts, were happening, amen. Actually, all through the epistles, we see this. In Acts chapter three, we see Peter and John being used to uh, bring life, used by God to bring life to this man. Uh, by life, I'm speaking to his limbs, to his members. He was crippled from birth. And they used their authority in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And they ministered life to this man. And this man got up and jumped and started praising God. A man who had been crippled from birth, he had never walked in his life. All he could do was to sit at the gate of the temple and ask for arms. But now he was free to walk, to run, hallelujah, to go look for a job to take care of himself. Praise God. In Acts chapter 14, Paul uses his, this authority that he has and speaks again in the name of Jesus, hallelujah, and ministers life to another crippled man who had also been crippled from birth to the point where the people said that the gods have come down because they were so amazed at this miracle. Well, you see, the apostle Paul 
the, or, or, or Peter or John or any of them, the same spirit that was in them also is in us. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit who brooded over the face of the earth when darkness was upon the face of the deep is the same spirit who indwelt this apostle who is now living in us. Second Corinthians four verses six and seven says this, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts. Hallelujah, notice our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Hallelujah. What do we have in us? We have the excellency of the power of God residing in us. God commanded the light to shine out of darkness in the book of Genesis. And we have that same excellency of power in us to also command the light to shine out of any type of darkness that we encounter. Amen. When there was darkness, God did not run away from the light. He spoke to the darkness. Amen. Hallelujah. He commanded. And that same authority he has given us. Authority means the legal right to exercise power. So we have that right as born against Christians. We have the right to self-determination. The enemy has been defeated. Hallelujah. Over and over, as we just saw in scripture. Praise God. And by virtue of our birth, we have a certain level of authority of being born into this earth. Now that we are born again, that authority is amplified Hallelujah, over the natural and spiritual world because we are in Christ and Satan has no legal right. Not only that, he was not even born onto the earth to have any kind of authority to start with. So in addition, Jesus, when we think about our lives, he is the Lord of our lives. So anything, that comes against us must bow and flee when we take our authority in the name of Jesus. So we must not be silent any longer. We must speak, amen, hallelujah. We must speak. We were brought in this world to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, amen. So all we need is the word of God. And as we believe and speak, then the word will bring life to our life. You see, the successful believer is one who walks in God's wisdom and power. And God's power is his word. So God's wisdom, when we look at it from a natural standpoint, it doesn't make sense. Actually, the Bible says it is foolishness to the carnal mind. But when we understand spiritual things and we choose to walk 
in God's wisdom. We will be speaking his word at all times, especially in the face of adverse situations, because we know that that is the power of God at work. Amen. So if we find ourselves in a valley, a valley of that dry bones, then let us not hesitate any longer, but speak to it. Let us command, let us issue decrees, hallelujah, as the book of Job tells us in Job 22, 22, it says when it actually, I'm sorry, it's 22, 28. He says, you decree a thing and it shall be established unto you and the light shall shine on thy ways. Hallelujah. And in that same chapter of Job 22 and verse 22, we are also told that when people are cast down, that our confession should be, there is lifting up. Amen. Hallelujah. There is lifting up. That's what God wants us to know. He said, speak, command. When people are cast down, whatever situation that looks like an impossible situation in the natural, do not rely on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge me, the Lord says. Hallelujah. And he is going to direct our path. He will direct our path in the, the, the words. He will give us the words to speak over that situation that will dissipate the darkness. Hallelujah. And his light will shine forth upon us and upon the situations that are contrary, that are challenging God's will for our lives. Amen. Hallelujah. So in closing, let me say this, that the strength of the Christian life is our dependence on God, is on our being strong in the Lord. Hallelujah. Being strong in the power of his might, which is found when we walk in obedience to the spirit of God and to the word of God. Any other power is ineffective. But the Lord's strength is always more than sufficient for any battle that we may have to face. Because what matters is not the amount of strength that we may think we have in the natural, but it is in the source of the strength. And the strength, source of the strength is our strength is God himself. It is not by power. It is not by might, but it is by my spirit, says the Lord. And so the principal reality that we must live by as believer, believers is that we are in Christ and we are one with him. He is our life. Hallelujah. He is our source of power. His truth is our truth. His strength is our strength. And his way is our way. And speaking his word in faith, hallelujah, is his power and his way. That's God's way. This is it. Live out to us from Genesis chapter one. Whenever God wanted to do something, he spoke it 10 times over 
and over again. And God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. He kept doing it 10 times so that he would show to the pinnacle of his creation, which is man, that when you want something done, you must act like your father, who is God himself. Hallelujah. That was his lesson here in Genesis chapter one, that we must walk like him. We must be imitators of God as dear children. When he wants to create, when he wants to do something, he speaks it into being. And he tells us, we too must speak things into being. We must prophesy like Ezekiel. Hallelujah. And his way, therefore, must be our way. So if we want to succeed in, and be faithful in his kingdom, we must do things his way. Hallelujah. And when we do it, we will see that it is well with us. Praise God. Let us go on and practice, put into practice what we have just learned tonight and see how God is going to honor his word on our behalf. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your move in our midst, for the release of your anointing and power in us right now, O oh Lord, that we might see through your eyes, O oh God, to walk like you have called us to walk so that we may be able to fight the good fight of faith and come out on the other end more than conquerors, living out the victory of Jesus that was won on our behalf. Father, as we agree on earth with you, who are in heaven, we thank you that by your spirit, you will displace the powers of darkness in the heavenly places and you will make a way for us to live that life of victory, that life of being more than conquerors, that life of walking in dominion over the situations and circumstances of our lives, oh God, in the name of Jesus. And we will be used by you to advance your kingdom on the earth. Father, for that, we say thank you. For all that you have done, oh God, and continue to do in our lives, we say thank you. We decree that indeed, through our God, we will do valiantly. We thank you, Father, that those indeed who trust and abide in you and walk in your ways and in the light of your word, Father God, are like you. They are victorious. They are excellent. They are enduring and they remain forever. This is our confession concerning our lives, oh God. And Lord, we thank you that we shall see the manifestation of every promise as we claim it, oh God, as we live by your word and as we stand God 
over your will and your plans for us. In the name of Jesus, we thank you, O Lord God, and we praise you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. We thank God for tonight. I pray that this study has been a blessing to you. We invite you to come back and be with us again next Wednesday at the same time. God bless you and have a good night.